years I wrote Christmas cards and I sent them out because once Trip was diagnosed, I thought this is a way that I can share with my friends the presence of Emmanuel. God is with us. In the midst of raising a kid with autism, I can share with them the good news of the manger and that God is with us. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from Jill Wiggins, who sat in my den and shared her story live with our Vestavia gathering. And first of all, it's so brave. Second, she gives an insight into her family dynamic of living with a child with special needs and really what that looks like day in and day out. But where we were so surprised is she took this in the direction of Christmas, and this was not recorded in the (laughs) Christmas season. And we heard it, we knew instantly that this needed to be our Christmas episode before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that Jill says is, as you were talking about, Robin, she so vulnerably shares about the hard, but she also talks about the sunshine of God's grace. I loved Mm -hmm. that imagery that she gave us. And then she talks about the beauty that knowing that God is with us, that's why we titled this Emmanuel God. God with us. I'm thrilled to have an audio devotion on this on Patreon. I'm going to dig into this concept of what that really means, what that baby in a manger meant to the world and how it changed, honestly, everything. So I hope that you go to Patreon and, and join today if you're not a member and listen and just get in the Christmas spirit, focus in on what the real reason for the season is. Here's Jill. As we wrap up 2021, Storytellers Live community, we are so thankful for you, our listeners. And we would just like to humbly ask that as you think about your personal year-end giving, would you consider making a financial donation to Storytellers Live? This will go to us expanding into new communities through live gatherings in 2022. It will also help fund our podcast as we continue to reach women with stories of hope. We have big dreams for 2022. Katie's writing our second Bible study. And we also want to fund a paid staff so that this ministry can grow and that more women can hear the hope of Jesus Christ. So please go to StorytellersLive.org today and donate to our ministry. All gifts are tax deductible. Thank you so much. And here's today's story. First off, thank you. I just look around and see so many friends from my different phases of life. And I just can't tell you how much it means to have you here and just... Throw up a prayer <laughs> Because when Lou Ann first um, mentioned something to me about this in the spring, you know, I thought, well, let me pray about it. And I, I did. And I felt like the Lord was laying something on my heart to share, but I didn't want to share it at all. And the only way that I can describe it, it would be like going to Nineveh. You know, you just, I just didn't want to go there. And I'm not saying that, like, I was on a ship headed for Tarsus, but I was hanging around the dock. Like, you know, I didn't want to, it, it was painful. The things that I was going to, that I felt like God wanted me to share were really, really painful. So, yeah, if you just kind of throw up a prayer while we're doing this, that would be great. For those of you that I don't know, my name is Jill Wiggins, and I have been married to John for almost 26 years. And we have three kids, Trip, Sam, and B. And Trip is 20, Sam 17, and B is 13. And my oldest, Trip, has autism. And it is a lens that colors every part of our lives, from our marriage to our relationships to our friendships 
to our faith, to our finances. There's really not anything that's not impacted or affected by his disability. Now, like I said, I could tell you a lot of stuff about Trip. How many of you in here know Trip? Okay, so if you know Trip, he truly lives up to his name. He is funny. He can quote Doofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb. He could tell you everything you never wanted to know about any presidential assassination. Um, he could tell you everything about Wheel of Fortune, you know, including the two contestant videos that he has submitted. Like he could tell you everything. He is um, really a trip. He is funny. He is delightful. He was voted friendliest male from his senior class at Spain Park, and he is. He's just great. And I could tell you some funny stories and you would think, oh, how do they do that? You know, but, but that's not Nineveh. That's not where God has called me to go. To, that's not what he's called me to share. What he's called me to share was something that happened to our family 10 years ago. And I don't know that I could have shared it at any time prior. And I look out and see Sonia Carrington, and I'm sure she remembers a lot of this. The summer before Tripp started fourth grade, he had an abscess tooth. We didn't know it at the time, and it, it sent him to the hospital. Our dentist was out of town, and he pulled the abscess tooth they removed, and then while he was still numb, he pulled out another tooth in the back and proceeded to like kind of chew up his, his gum. So he went home with the tooth that was removed and then a hole and like just pain radiating. And then when you're in fourth grade and you have autism and your tooth hurts, you think you need to pull it. So he proceeded to like, you know, pull out another one. And we had, so we had two and, and it was really bad. It was really bad. We went back to the ER and he was still saying that they're hurting. And he started wanting to wiggle his front bottom permanent teeth. You know, I remember someone at the ER said, there's no way he can pull out his own teeth. There's no way he can do that. And he just set his jaw like this and he wedged out his front permanent bottom tooth. And it was awful. So then we had these holes here and holes back here, and, and it was awful. We spent two nights in the, in the hospital. We were admitted for pain. Spent two nights in the hospital, and I had my hands in his mouth to keep him from wanting to pull out his own teeth. Because again, when you're in fourth grade and you have autism and your tooth hurts, you think you wiggle it until it comes out. And as bad as that was, as bad as that was, and that was bad, that's not even the Nineveh that I feel like God's called me to share because I made it through that pretty well. And my choice of pronoun there, I, is kind of in, intentional because what I want to share is a part where that led me to say one afternoon in my Bible study, meeting with my friends, I'm at the end of me. There is none of me left. I didn't understand the degree to which Tripp had OCD at this particular point because he's in fifth grade. And he's my first kid. And you don't know what you don't know. You just don't. After he had those teeth out, one way that he sort of got by was he had a gauze that he would shove in his mouth. And he would keep it in there, no matter what. And so if this happened in the summertime, he went to school with that gauze in his mouth. Not that he needed it, because everything had healed up. But he would take it out when he ate, and then would put it right back in. And we didn't know how we were going to get him to keep from taking this gone, you know, to how you break a habit like that. And we didn't really have to think about it because one night he came to me 
and said, Mom, I'm going to swallow my fingers. And it was just so out of the blue. And he proceeded to stick his fingers down his throat and make himself gag until he threw up. And the only way that I can describe it is if you see your kid touch a hot stove, you will do whatever you can to prevent them from touching that hot stove. And so I don't know if I popped his hand or if I popped his mouth, I don't know what I did, but I know that I said no, because that instinct of a parent for the preservation of your kid is just overwhelming. But the more that I did that, he did it again. And then my husband hears the noise of gagging and popping and, and he comes in there and John would say, no, do not, you know, do not do that. And what I did, we didn't know then is if you have someone with OCD, you know, you could hear, do not, do not make yourself gag and they're hearing make yourself gag or do not touch that hot stove and you hear touch that hot stove. Like that's the thing that you hear in your mind. And so he would look as if just like overcome by something else. He would look at John and just set his face and make himself gag. And we would pop him on the bottom and he would do it again. And we would pop him on the bottom and he would do it again. And I think for my husband, there is, you know, we grew up going to church and hearing the, you know, the, the growing kids, God's way, the ways, you know, all of those things that you hear about, you know, your authority in the house and you have your kid who is directly challenging, challenging that. And you want to make that kid stop. And then as a mom, what do you do when the thing that is attacking your kid is himself? You know, you want to make that stop. You want to make that stop. And so that night, it was a crazy train of him making himself throw up and us spanking. And it, and it was a crazy train that no one got off. And that night, I remember laying in Tripp's bed with him. And I had a belt that I'd gotten from a closet that we had tied around his arms to keep his little hands from making their way to his face to make himself throw up. And that was, that was 10 years ago. Um, I can't explain what on earth, what on earth would prompt a kid to come in and say, Mom, I'm going to swallow my fingers. I mean, in all of the preparation for parenting books that you have, there is nothing, there is nothing like that. There's nothing for self-injury. Um, there's nothing that can, that could help you anticipate what that's going to be. Um, I mean, maybe if you're a parent of someone who's, whose kid is, is a cutter or, or anorexic or addicted, you can kind of understand what that might be like to see them harm themselves in that way. But there is something just so primal that could take over that I really just can't, can't articulate it. Um, and so every, every time he did that, the fabric of our family ripped a little bit more. And the days that followed were um, very, very hard. I don't know if you've ever done anything for which you are unbelievably ashamed, but I do know how John and I would answer that question. Um, I do know how we would. In the days that followed, I mean, how does your family recover from something like that? Where do you find God's grace after something like that? Um, where do you find God's grace? I mean, if, if you're the one who was, 
you know, he was cheated, or if you know, if you're the one reason that your your marriage has broke up, or if you're the one who's left a red hand mark on chubby flesh, how do you find God's grace after that? I'll tell you, it it has been it was hard. I was in my Bible study, like I said, and I went there and said, I'm at the end of me. Um, Dr. Carrington was there. This was, he, he would throw up 20 times a day. We kept records on it at school. I, we, we went to see a psychiatrist and they thought of putting in a pick line. They, he threw up three times in that one hour visit in the psychiatrist's office. Right after John went to counseling, he signed us up for Calm Parenting Seminars. We listened to CDs. I went to a psychiatrist. I was treated for you know, depression and anxiety and would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night kind of gasping for air because how can you make predictions about what the future is? How can you prepare for anything when out of the blue, your kid says, I'm gonna swallow my fingers? I mean, this was, Trip was mainstreamed in school. Like, you know, he, he had regular, you know, he did all of the, those other things. How do you anticipate or prepare for something like that? Um, he missed over 20 days of school that year. And I wrote down as John and I stayed home, holding his arms down and just bathing in our guilt and shame. Every time, he, he never, I didn't know that when, when you have OCD, you don't want to do the thing that you're doing. Um, he would look and say, help, 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 help. He put socks on his hands. Um, he would sit on them. He would pull his sleeves down. Um, anyway, we, it, it was pretty ba- it was bad. Um, in addition to the counseling and the psychiatrist that we both did and the CDs we went to, um, we, Shades Mountain had a parenting seminar. And there was a guy who spoke who worked at a local um, center for kids with autism. And he talked to us about ways to de-escalate and things that we could do as parents and um, that were that were helpful and we looked for God's grace everywhere for years I wrote Christmas cards and I sent them out because once Trip was diagnosed I thought this is a way that I can share with my friends the presence of Emmanuel God is with us in the midst of raising a kid with autism I can share with them the good news of the manger and that God is with us but that year's Christmas card questioned how a loving God could send angels to proclaim good tidings of great joy for a son born to suffer. I looked at that in a, in a whole new way that I'd never seen before. We had seen him suffer at his own hand and at ours, and no part of that was good. But even as I ask a good God, how could the angels proclaim that? How could a God who saw the cross in the nativity, say that that's good. As a believer, I know that is, because that's the only hope that I have, is that in the midst of my guilt and shame, there is good news there. There is good news that I am not the worst thing that I've ever done. And if there's anything else that I would that I could just say to you is that you're not the worst thing that you've ever done either. God is, is big and can redeem even the, the worst things. You know, these talks often have like a pivot, like a, a now what? You know, so I would say that every day since we have lived both in the sunlight of God's amazing grace and the shadow of the consequences of that night. Um, and, you know, you can just read your Bible and you don't have to read much to know that 
throughout history of um, you know David, he lived with the consequences of his of, of his actions, of course, but he also lived in the knowledge of what um, Nathan the prophet said that you know God will remember your sins no more, and that as far as the east is from the west, that is where you know God has put your sins from you. And I think. There are moments where we live with the sunlight of God's grace and we can feel it on our face and it is real and it is tangible. And then there are times where, you know, the enemy would creep in and whisper lies to my husband like, you know, you're you're a horrible father and a terrible dad and they'd be better off with you not here. And, you know, we, we know that is just not true. We know that is not, that is not of the Lord. Those are the shadows. Those, those are the shadows, but the sunlight looks different. The sunlight looks in the transformation that has taken place in our family since that horrible night 10 years ago. The way that we can engage with him now, the things that we know now about trauma-informed parenting that we didn't know then. Um, the way that when I see, when Trip is raging or upset or having a horrible day, that no one can calm him down like my husband can. And oftentimes what that looks like is him wrapping his arms around him when he's screaming and saying, I love you, buddy. It's going to be okay. Everything is fine. I think about God and Jesus and how he responds to us. And when I do those things that would bring harm upon myself and when I'm raging and when I'm mad, the way he responds to me is by wrapping his arms around me and says, it's okay. I've got you. I love you at your absolute worst. And I think the sunlight of God's grace happens today. I mean, I took trip to church this morning. I attempted, sorry, we didn't make it. <laughs> attempted to take trip to church this morning. And when you have a kid with autism, there's routines you have to have. We only go to 8 o'clock church. And because it's 8 o'clock church, and we have to go to McDonald's before. Well, there's a little bit of a staffing crisis. <laughs> that, um, you know, we went to 8 o'clock this We were going to 8 o'clock this morning, and we stopped by McDonald's, and, you know, they had, like, two people in there doing the whole thing. So it was late, and he was not in a great mood. And then you struggle with, at what point do you, like, you want to push on and go? Because if you're in a, if you act ugly and then you don't go to church, then you're reinforcing the behavior that if you act a certain way, then you don't have to go to church, and you kind of negotiate all of those things. I mean... You know, so, but you want him to learn to say, it's not my day. I just can't do it today. So, so you do that. So we went, I knew it was not his day, but I was going to see if we could just go. He went to stop by the bathroom on the way out. And this man comes out and he's like, mammy's screaming in there. I was like, oh gosh, here we go again. So, you know, it's like, there's nobody else in the bathroom. If you need to go in there. And I said, come on, come on, let's go. And he's like, I'll get you. You know, trip is like this. And. He's raging, having a, having a day, and so I text John, I don't think we're going to make it. And we pulled back in the driveway, and I thought, you know, this is a time where we're in the driveway. And I said, Trent, what do you know about grace? What do you know about God's grace? Even on this day, when you're mad and when you're angry and when you are not your best and when your behavior looks awful, God loves you. He loves you, and Mommy and Daddy love you, and nobody, you know, Mommy and Daddy love Trip more than anything in the world, anything at all. And that might have been his Sunday school lesson for today, you know? And I think that's what I would just share with all of you, that at your very worst, God loves you. God, God loves you. The consequences, I mean, of, your act, of, the, of 
living with trauma, I mean, the impact that it has on the whole family. Um, anytime my middle son hears Trip cough at all, he looks with big eyes and thinks he's made himself, you know, throw up again. And sometimes Trip will make himself gag out of, I have no idea why, and I'll hear it from the other room. But what I've known now, that again, that I didn't know then, is the greater the emotional response to something, the worse it can be, the worse it will be. So now if I hear that, I'm like, Trip, that was so fourth grade. You know, you don't do that anymore. It's like, you're right. You're right. I don't do that anymore. And I think that too is what God tells us. That when I hear those enemies, when I hear the the words and the lies of the enemy that tells me that I am the worst thing that I've ever done, Jesus whispered, that's not fourth grade. You're not in fourth grade anymore. That's not that time of your life anymore. I don't even remember, you know, what you're talking about. John framed this thing and he puts it on, it's on his um, vanity in the bathroom. And I think it's Jim Elliott. I'm not sure who it is, but it's something like God cannot remember the sins you can't forget. And I take great comfort in that. But you know, it is, it's a struggle, a fight for, a fight for joy and for that grace every day. Um, Sunshine of his grace can also look like this past weekend when I was at this event in Auburn and it was so providential that I would be there and I was talking with two girls who were in my sorority one was older and one was younger and both of them were child advocates and I was just standing there chatting with them thinking about those things that I'm about to share with you guys and thinking what on earth are these people what would they think I mean I'm a teacher I'm a teacher what are they what would they think about me And I just said, can I just put a little bug in your ear? If you can do anything for parents of special needs, who have kids with special needs, like just resources. And I told them what I told you guys about the events that happened 10 years ago. And to my relief, they said things like, when you help parents, you help kids. And so... A big reason that I'm sharing is I think if I can help parents, if we can help parents, then we can ultimately help kids. And one of them put me in touch with some resources that I can share um, later on. Psalm 103 states that for as high as the heavens are from above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. I wrote down, do you believe that? And do I believe that? And it all comes down to belief. There's a passage in Mark that is always spoken to me. It's a man who has a kid, probably like Trip. And it talks about how he takes him to Jesus. And he says, from the time that he was young, it has you know, seized him and it's thrown him in the fire. And he has a mute spirit and he's gnashed his teeth. And all of these things just speak to me. And when the man takes him to Jesus, he doesn't say, if you can do anything, fix him. Fix him and make it stop. The father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so that's always been my cry to Jesus. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus said, I can. You know, all things are possible if you believe. Do you believe? And the man immediately goes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
And I think that I've lived, I live somewhere, you know, when I say between the shadows of the consequences and the sunlight of His grace, it is in that space between, Lord, I believe, and then help my unbelief. There's a lot that I could say. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why on earth Trip would come to us and say, I'm going to swallow my fingers, but I do know that it was providentially ordained by the hand of God. I do also know that my husband and I were 100% responsible for our reprehensible response. And somehow in God's economy, he can work both of those things for his glory. And I just really hope that he does through, through me sharing. There's a line from a, a hymn that says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I don't know. I have I mean, my feeble sense can't make sense of this. It makes no rational sense. But I just have to cling to and trust him for his grace. The last thing I want to share, um, if you've ever gotten my Christmas letters, I send Christmas letters every year. And I wanted to share with y'all, um, I made this for my family. It's like 10 Christmases, and it was just, it ended at 2014. And I wanted to share with you the Christmas after, the year after all of the horrors of 10 years ago. I wanted to share with you what was, what happened then. But before I do, I forgot one more thing, because this is a cool thing, too. This is another evidence of God's grace. It has been 10 years, and that boy who wrenched out his own permanent teeth had his four wisdom teeth pulled this summer and these two teeth right here and he did great and on Wednesday he got braces I mean that may not be a big deal to anybody I've never been more excited to like send my credit card to Mark Yanoski <laughs> you just don't know it's been so great but um, anyway this was um, this the the win the Christmas card after the awful the awful time, and I have pictures too. <laughs> the title of this year's Chris, of this year's Christmas card was called Holy Tannenbaum. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, the great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Joel 2, 25. Last night I received a phone call from Tripp's special education coordinator. It was 5.30 p.m. and I must admit that my initial response to such a late and unexpected call was, uh-oh. However, unable to contain her excitement for another minute, she called to inform me that Tripp had been selected to light the Hoover Christmas tree. Do you remember? <laughs> She then spoke of the selection process and mentioned some words that today I can only remember as like the wah-wah-wah teacher talk in the Charlie Brown meetings. <laughs> Yet I strangely recall with great detail the place I was standing and the texture of the rug on the floor and all these other things I remember just with great clarity. Not coincidentally, I had begun working on the Wiggins yearly update earlier that afternoon and found myself struggling more than in years past. I've told John on the many occasions when he encourages me to just write a book so that I can retire, that any, <laughs> any talent I might possess as a writer lies not in my own skill, 
but on inspiration that is given by the Lord. And quite frankly, yesterday I suspect he was feeling stingy. Uh, my initial Christmas letter idea was Jesus, the sequel, and centered on the next time Jesus comes to earth, just in case any of my friends were growing weary of my yearly installment of Mary Joseph, the baby, the bar, and the star, and the wise men. I hoped that somehow I could correlate the second coming, specifically the all things new, um, in Revelation with all of our new experiences that year, and I won't go into it. But, and I'll go on to say, yesterday's draft felt an awful lot like I was faking it. Like singing shiny happy people while crafting stories about an imagined honor roll and make-believe Disney family cruise. And then I got the call and I knew that the first draft must either be drastically revised or dismantled altogether. And here's the reason. This time last year, I was typing a Christmas letter crying for a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Our family was suffering through the most difficult days with trip than we had ever experienced. The darkness was oppressive and most days suffocating. To be honest, the shockwaves of such an experience are still felt one year later, oftentimes leaving me anxious and fearfully awaiting the next family catastrophe looming somewhere on the horizon. Writing a puff piece fewer than 365 days after the events of last year would be beyond disingenuous. To suggest that the aroma in our nice new home resembled sunshine and roses would deny the store-bought air freshener hiding behind the trash can to mask the stink. That letter would reject the slow process of restoration wrought with pain, with prayer, with counseling, with forgiveness, and ultimately with grace. And then I got the call, and I remembered every mile spent in the car looking at Christmas lights. I could re recollect the time Tripp had asked for his own shiny aluminum tree and ornaments for his birthday in October. My mind flashed to a Barney's Christmas star and a Wiggly Christmas, movies that he still watches year-round at my parents' home. And I found myself repeating the entire passage from Tripp's A Charlie Brown Christmas DVD. However, the memory most vivid was Tripp's wide-eyed gasp of, It's Jesus, upon seeing the infant in our church's walk through nativity. For a boy who so loves Christmas, what a tremendous gift the lighting of this tree would be. And almost instantly, my mind, given to symbolism and metaphor, feasted on that image. And I could suddenly see the tree in evergreen, fresh, fragrant, eternal, no longer stripped by the swarming locust in the hopper. I could envision my son, who had just last year walked through darkness, now restored and becoming an instrument of illumination. And like the passage in Joel, I could praise the name of the Lord my God, who has dealt wondrously with me, not by granting Tripp this privilege, but by sending his own son to one day walk through unconscionable darkness to become not just the light for his city, but the light of the world. How divinely orchestrated. This Christmas, may we all eat in plenty, be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord our God. And when our family watches Trip light up that Hoover tree, may we praise the Lord, who has so symbolically illustrated to us that he will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. And that's Isaiah 42, 16. In his grace and peace through the illuminating power of Jesus. The Wiggins family. I personally have known Jill for a long time, even all the way back to college, and I love her 
gift of how she uses the English language. <laughs> She's an eighth grade English teacher. So not only do I enjoy her writing, I've been privileged to get her Christmas letters every year. And that Christmas letter at the end was so touching of how she described God bringing them to just the, the tree of evergreen and, mm-hmm. and the illumination and, and turning their darkness into light. And you know what? It doesn't matter if, if you have a special needs child or what. Right. We have all been at the end of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're literally, we are at the end of me. And, you know, Lord, I need you because Mm -hmm. I am at the end of me. Yeah. You know, Lindy, just piggybacking off of what you just said, the imagery that she gave us in her story, it spoke to me when she talked about her husband and how when he calms Trip down, he wraps his arms around him and how that's just a picture of God and how he wants to wrap his arms around us. And then my favorite was when she said, now, Trip, we're not in fourth grade anymore. And she said (laughs) that God says that to us. Okay, Katie, you're not in fourth grade anymore. We've moved past this. So let's go. Let's go. I loved that imagery. It's such a simple picture in a life that's not very simple. When we finished Storytellers the other night, I told Jill and I I told y'all that she was so brave in sharing the words that most people would not be brave enough Mm -hmm. to share. For those of you with special needs children, I know that this can be what your house looks like at times and you feel that darkness. And my prayer for you is that Jill's story and her speaking this allows light into your situation, that her speaking her heart, God will move through that into your life mm-hmm. and bring that light in this Christmas season, especially that you would be able to hang on to that imagery that she shared of the lighting of the tree being the light for your family. And so we are so thankful for all of you this Christmas season. We hope you loved Jill's story. We do ask that you would share it because I know there are so many families out there that need to hear this hope that they are not alone. And just so you know, for the next two weeks, we are taking a Christmas break and we are going to repost two of your favorite stories. So be listening for those. We hope you have a wonderful Christmas season. Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. We'll talk to you in the new year. Bye.